It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Tom Shalhoub. I'm Maria Bartiromo, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. He did not clash with his Republican rivals in the first presidential debate. And North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum is glad he didn't. So our campaign is focused on Joe Biden's record. Are you better off today than you were two and a half years ago? Resoundingly, the answer is no. Not on interest rates, not on inflation. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. City Democrats are demanding federal Democrats do more to help them as migrants continue to flood their cities, putting a strain on resources as shelters fill up. When you see the mayor or the governor talking about renting houses, renting apartments, bringing more you know, services to people who are coming over here ostensibly for asylum, which that's a whole other question. What about the people who, who have need here, who are here already? What about our homeless? What about our veterans? And I'm Robert Henneke. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The second presidential debate is less than a month away, September 27th on the Fox Business Network. We don't know if former President Trump will go after he skipped the first one. Six of the Republican candidates who were on stage in Milwaukee last week have qualified to be in California next month, but two have not, with higher polling and fundraising thresholds set by the Republican National Committee. We have to have respect for our justice system and the rule of law, and it starts at the top with the President of the United States. That's Asa Hutchinson, who got booed when he suggested during the debate former President Trump doesn't deserve to be the nominee and may be disqualified with his legal issues. Hutchinson also had the least amount of airtime in the debate on Fox. Doug Burgum was second to last in screen time. We act like that letting Russia win in Ukraine uh, is like a gimme as opposed to a gift to China. Russia has become China's gas station. But how would we do it? Uh, The Biden administration is a complete fail. North Dakota's governor kept his focus on the president instead of sparring with his Republican rivals. Well, we felt we had a great uh, first debate. Matter of fact, it's, uh, I think it's going down the record books. Because Governor Burgum suffered a major injury the day before the debate. It's going to be the best presidential debate by any candidate standing on one leg. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you, you, what was it, right before the debate, you rupture your Achilles playing basketball? Well, it was 28 hours before, okay. uh, but it was so just right into it, so in peak oh. pain moment. And we got through the walkthrough and found out that the podiums were actually bolted to the ground. So I had something to lean on because that was the, I I knew I was going to need something to brace myself. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a huge, if they were not bolted, that would have been very tough. It could have been, and I, you know, everybody says when you do a presidential debate, you got to be looking for a moment. I thought maybe like having my podium tip over into Tim Scott's, and then they all go down, a domino like a, effect, a yeah. domino cross thing. That would have been. I, I'd have had a moment. You would have, maybe not the moment you want though. Right. I mean, you want to have one of these big moments, of course, in the debate, battling maybe one of the candidates. You didn't have that. There were a lot of candidates who sparred. You did not get involved like that. Why not? Well, I think one of the things that, you know, my 30 years in the private sector, you know, starting as a, you know, with a 10-person startup and then building it into a global company and then having an opportunity to lead as a CEO, corporate officer, chairman of multiple other, you know, large companies, 
And then working as governor, mm-hmm. I've had an opportunity to understand leadership. I've never seen uh, a candidate selection process where the person that's got the snappiest retort or the can toss the biggest insult, you know, during an interview process is the one that actually has the leadership capabilities to lead forward. So well, part of- it worked for former President Trump certainly in 2016. Well, it helped him get elected. It sure did. But I think again, would you'd have to ask yourself are the the, the characteristics in this, you know, sort of world of entertainment celebrity presidents, is that the role modeling that a parent, a teacher, a business leader, uh, you know, anybody would say, hey, that's what we want. That's what we want to see in our next pastor. That's what we mm-hmm. want to see in our next superintendent. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to see in our next CEO. It doesn't. So I'm not sure why that somehow this uh, kind of cage match mentality you know, sort of dominates what we call a debate because it's not really a debate. It's it's entertainment. I mean, it's infotainment. It's political theater. And, of course, the divisiveness, uh, they ask all the questions to get Republicans to attack each other because that sells. Divisiveness sells. Divisiveness is a huge business, both on social media and on cable. And I'm really focused on, instead of fighting with other Republicans, when we're doing that, you know who's who's watching? Well, China's watching that debate. They love it when we're fighting, but Joe Biden loves it. Joe Biden loves it absolutely when we're doing that because when we're doing that, we're not talking about his abysmal record on the economy, on energy, and national security. So our campaign is focused on Joe Biden's record. Are you better off today than you were two and a half years ago? Resoundingly, the answer is no, not on interest rates, not on inflation, not on what you're paying for gas at the pump, all the things that every working family's got to go through. They're not, and we're trying to make sure that that message gets heard, and when people hear it, they're like, wow, where have you been? You know, you've A, leadership capability, running businesses and government, and B, you understand the issues that matter to us, economy, energy, national security. So why not in the middle of this battle back and forth, Christie and Ramaswamy and Pence and the arguments, why not just jump in and say, hey, everybody, stop. This is not about that. January 6th. It's, why not do that? Well, I, I think you'll look forward to that at the next debate if we get down that same path again. Uh, you know, everybody learns something from every experience, and I think I've learned next time that there's going to be an opportunity to to jump in. But I've we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from our supporters and from others around the country that just said, "Wow, it was when you were talking, we actually learned something, and you didn't attack anybody else." And we're so sick of the divisiveness. So understand that outside the entertainment arena, there are Americans that do understand what leadership looks like. And they're excited to see that that alternative is standing on the stage. Did it go by quick? I mean, you're up there. I know there's a couple of breaks here and there, and you can you know drink water and collect your thoughts. But what's it like? You, you don't know what's coming. You don't know what's going to happen when the candidates start sparring. What's it like when you're in the middle of it? Well, I'd say the the thing that was interesting, you know, having done debates, uh, you know, before as part of gubernatorial sure. races, et cetera, but the whole arena piece. Uh, where there was like, oh, we're going to have the crowd under control. Well, the, the crowd was so loud sometimes. Think of going to an NBA game and the announcer's trying to announce something at the same time, you know, somebody just did a 360 dunk. Yeah, right. And, uh, which, by the way, which I was not doing when I blew my Achilles, but it was, that would be a much better story. It was, but it, it was it was raining threes right before I uh, right before I did there blow it. Go. I just want to make sure we're on the record on that. Was, we're having a good game, but I would say uh, the you know the crowd noise was interesting uh, because you know the moderators wanted to keep going, and when the moderators were starting to ask a question, when the crowd is still yelling, yeah, right. I think it was sometimes it was actually even hard. 
for the candidate sometimes to hear the hear the questions that were coming. And out. even Brett Barrett at one point turned to the audience and asked them to not you yeah. know do what they were doing. At times they were booing Chris Christie, of course, with his anti-Trump uh, stance. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the the raising the hand moment people talked about. Uh, would you support Donald Trump if he's the Republican nominee? You're one of the ones that raised your hand. Some Republicans don't want to see him as the nominee. Why did you say, yes, I want him? If I don't get the nomination, I'm for Trump. Well, I'll be for any Republican over Joe Biden. Okay. And I think the other thing which uh, was clear, I mean, I thought it was the goofiest question of the night, because to get on the stage, right. everybody had signed things to say, I'm not running as an independent, okay, and I'm going to support the Republican candidate. So those are the two things. So I'm like, why are they asking? It's kind of like, did you sign the pledge? Because it's like... I thought everybody signed the pledge, and then some mm -hmm. people didn't raise their hand. So I thought that was crazy. And then the hypothetical question about the future, those hypotheticals, I always think are silly. Because if you're on the stage, and I'm on the stage, I'm not trying to sell a book. I'm not running for a cabinet position. I'm not running to be VP. I'm running to be president. So, of course, I expect to be the nominee. You don't start something unless you begin with the end in mind, which is you're going to win in November of 2024. So are you going to support the nominee? Well, I'm supporting myself. Of course. The focus you've had on energy is uh, bring up again China. I mean, you have made the case that our switching to electric for vehicles, for instance, and for renewable energy is to their benefit. Absolutely. It's to their benefit because if you say we're going to go to EVs, but buy all the batteries from a country that's controlling 85% of the rare earth mineral production, and in the process of producing those rare earth minerals, they're called rare earth for a reason, because it's parts per million. You have to move hundreds of thousands of pounds of earth to get enough to do one battery. So, okay, let China tear up the Congo. Let China tear up Indonesia. And I'm talking, when I say tear up, like ecological disaster kind of mining to get at some of these minerals, to do that, so then, we, then we, we're exporting our environmental guilt to the country that we're in a cold war with that's actually... We're, you know, could be in a hot war with. I mean, people are like, oh, we need to decouple from China on these strategic things. They say that in the same sentence that we ought to go all EV. It completely makes no sense. If you get a battery from China or a solar panel, I'm telling you, it's made in a plant that's powered by coal. They are opening, opening a coal plant every two weeks. They have 41 new coal plants in the queue. You could shut down every one in the United States. They'll open up more in the same time period. We'll have destabilized our grid. We won't have enough power to run what we have now, much less charge cars, because you can't get a power line transmitted under this administration. We don't have the grid to support the thing. So it doesn't match physics. It doesn't match economics. It doesn't match common sense. And it certainly doesn't help the environment. If you care about the environment, you want every ounce of energy produced here in America. China, another issue. Taiwan, there's a lot of danger and a lot of fear that they may invade. Right. What would President Burgum do if that happened? They've always said, Taiwan is ours. And then we sit around and have, you know, do press releases when we should be putting harpoon missiles, which are anti-ship, sink the Chinese fleet kind of missiles on Taiwan. And then, you know, the Biden administration says, well, yes, we'll do it, but, you know, they're not going to be ready till 2027. You know, if you're President Xi, wouldn't you go, well, I better invade before 26, and maybe I should invade before we have a Republican president, you know, like Burgum. Maybe I better get in there now because that guy is going to give him harpoon missiles. He's going to expedite it because he understands that you have to have deterrence. If you don't want war, if you want to win a Cold War, you got to 
have your economy be stronger than the uh, opposite team, and you have to have deterrence that supports your allies. And when we signal that our deterrence are coming in three years, it's greenlighting the same way, same way Biden greenlighted China to come in and start doing rare earth mineral development in Afghanistan by us withdrawing, the same way he allowed all of Western Europe to get dependent on Russian energy, which then greenlighted you know, Putin. I mean, at the debate, everyone's talking about, oh, should we have more money or less money you know, to the Ukraine, Ukraine thing? Yeah. And I'm like, why are we talking about that? We should be talking about why are we in this war in the first place? Because the only reason we're here is because the deterrence didn't work. The economic sanctions, the the energy sanctions, all that stuff came so belatedly and after the fact. And then only a few countries said we're not buying Russian oil. So guess what? China's buying it at 20% off. You know, an American farmer can't get up tomorrow morning at 20% off on their diesel. But under the Biden energy plan... China's getting discount energy, the same country that we're just talking about that we're going to potentially be, that's going to be the start of World War III when they invade Taiwan. Last quick next debate, September on Fox Business, higher thresholds for polling. Are you going to be there? Yeah, absolutely. We'll be there. Uh, we've we passed all the, the donor requirements. We've got the, the state requirements done. One more poll comes in. Uh, we're going to be there. Uh, so we're looking forward to it. Uh, Reagan Library, 500 people in the audience. Uh, maybe we'll have more time to talk about the future, more time to talk about policy, and less to talk about 2020 and more about 2024, but we're very much looking forward to it. Well, we look forward to seeing it. In the meantime, good luck recovering with your injury. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, Republican running for president. Thanks a lot. Thank you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. This is Robert Henneke with your Fox News commentary coming up. The migrant crisis is still happening. After a dip in late May and June, border apprehensions shot back up and the number of migrants in some so-called sanctuary cities is straining resources. In New York, things may be at a boiling point. People protested outside the governor's mansion over the weekend, some even saying Mayor Eric Adams should house migrants there. The city has accepted 100,000 migrants since last spring, and protests broke out earlier in the year after the mayor considered housing migrants at some standalone school gyms. Many of those who've arrived to places like New York were bussed there from Texas after Governor Greg Abbott noted its sanctuary city status. Nearly a month ago, Mayor Adams said this. We need help. We need, we need help. And it's, it's not going to get any better. Uh, from, from this moment on, it's downhill. Uh, there is no more room. It's not just New York. Massachusetts Governor Maura Healey has received $2 million from FEMA to help new migrants arriving. The mayor of Woburn, Massachusetts, north of Boston, told a local media outlet they're preparing for more migrants in the next week, mostly from Haiti. And he said he's worried about a strain on resources. In Chicago, the new mayor, Brandon Johnson, says they expect new help in dealing with the number of migrants in his city. Yes, the county is providing you know, critical health care related services. We've had conversations with mayors across not just Cook County, but the, the surrounding counties. Uh, we have had tremendous um, feedback and um, we see some, some, some real support on the horizon. Um, I've had meetings with our congressional delegation. The, many of these steps have not been taken 
uh, prior to us arriving. In New York, Governor Kathy Hochul sent a letter to Mayor Adams saying the city needs to be more collaborative with the state. They do agree more federal help is needed. Adams and the governor of Massachusetts agree the federal government could make things easier by allowing some of these asylum-seeking migrants to work. Still, inundated places look to decompress and send migrants to surrounding areas. Mayor Adams tried that before, and one county executive flat out said no. We're seeing organic migration coming to Rockland County. It's been happening for a while, not large numbers. Ed Day is the executive of Rockland County, which is north of New York City. And we've been managing it. We work with the non-for-profits. We made sure we had funding for our food pantries. But what it did expose, frankly, is that this is not about money. This is really about infrastructure. Suburbs are not generally designed to handle this, number one. Number two, we are in the midst of a housing crisis ourselves here. We have a housing forum that we had in April. The state of New York directed us to take over the uh, building and codes uh, departments for the village of Spring Valley, which is the number one location where migrants will end up going to because it's a familiar Uh territory to many people who they know. So it's just something we've been handling. And unlike Eric Adams, I, have been, I haven't asked for $6.5 billion. We haven't asked for a penny. We've been handling it ourselves, doing what we're supposed to be doing and, and do the best as we can for all of the people in Rockland County, not just people who are coming here um, over the border now. I find it remarkable that, that the mayor, even now, after, the, after Governor Hochul made it clear that she's not going to support exporting people outside the, of New York City, he's still trying to do it. Tell me about that, Ed, because I see an update recently from, I think, a few days ago that you asked Governor Hochul again yes. uh, to, to come down on Mayor Adams uh, for this new plan, apparently, uh, that, uh, involving a decompression strategy. This would involve decompressing the city of migrants and sending them again, as we've talked about earlier in the year, to other locations. It sounds like you're worried that will happen. Well, the mayor, the mayor is clearly bereft of any ideas. I mean, the decompression strategy was something he said in the very beginning. He's now dusted off and repeating it. Uh, mm. I, I'm concerned because I don't assume anything. But when I'm dealing with a renegade like Mayor Adams, who tried to try to dump people into Rockland County, I mean, how horrible is that? He has a nerve to talk about Governor Abbott, you know, uh, and how, how horrible it was for him to bring people to New York City. And then he's doing the same exact thing. So, I'm concerned, I was concerned when I sent the letter to the governor that she would be swayed by the mayor or by the courts or people who are writing in, well-intentioned people just don't understand the larger issue, clearly. And subsequent to that, we find the, the governor said, no, we're not gonna, we're not supporting it. We are prepared uh, to do whatever we have to do to stop it. If there is any people being brought here by New York City, the way he tried this back in the beginning of May, he will be in violation of, of at least two court orders, as I recollect. I will be making a, a demand of the courts that Mr. Adams be arrested and charged accordingly if he tries to do that. We have restraining orders in place. If we can't rely on our courts because we have a mayor who just can't manage a problem, we have bigger problems than we ever expect to even talk about. So, Governor Hochul, I understand. It sounds like there's a lot of fighting at the state level. Governor Hochul sent her own letter to Mayor Adams asking him to be more collaborative with the state. But it sounds like they do agree that the federal government needs to do more. My understanding is there's this discussion, at least from the mayor, where he's asking the administration to grant a particular status to some of these asylum seekers that would allow them to work. And under normal circumstances, they wouldn't even be allowed to apply for that within six months of, of arriving. I guess that would mean, though, working anywhere, right? So you could work in another state. Is that something you would support if, if the federal administration could do that? 
everything that is being spoken of is incentivizing more immigration. This is mm-hmm. not the plan that we should be looking at right now. What should we should be looking at right now is we have a crisis. And I will agree with both the mayor and the governor on the fact that this is a federal issue. And the fact that the president of the United States has been absent in this entire matter is beyond belief, especially when you see when you get pictures from the border is what's going on. So um, the federal government is feckless at this point. The president has been nowhere to be said. We cannot continue to take a path where we are incentivizing immigration. It's not, not going to work. And when, when you see the mayor or, or the governor talking about renting houses, renting apartments, bringing more you know uh, services to, to people who are coming over here ostensibly for asylum, which that's a whole nother question. What about the people who who have need here, who are here already? What about our homeless? What about our veterans? Hmm. I mean, it, it makes no sense. And the fact of the matter is we have talked to people who are out here. And a number, a, a significant percentage of them have come from different parts of the country because of the giveaways that are coming out of New York City and New York State. That's not the way to solve a crisis. I mean, the bottom line is that when you have a situation such as this, you have to go at the core of the problem. And the best thing they could do right now is get control of the border, at least for a finite period of time, and stop all the talking about giving things away. And as far as them having jobs, I can tell you now, right now, we have people who are here. They're selling candies and gum. They can't get work. They cannot even get work uh, as day laborers because we already have people who are day laborers here. Our, our unemployment rate is below 3%. has been for a while. So as much as, much as it sounds wonderful that you allow them to work, where are they going to get a job? That's a whole other ball of wax right now. So it, it is clear that the, solu- the beginnings of a solution is when you address the source of the problem. The situation is we have a border that's not being held up and people keep coming here. And and by the words of our own political leaders, they're basically saying it's OK. Yeah, come on. Come on to the United States. Come on to New York City and we'll and we'll we have goodies for you. And that's all they're doing. It's going to right. continue. Now, before a specific COVID related policy that affected migrants ended in May, there were as many as 10,000 apprehensions a day at the southwest border. After that policy, Title 42 ended, there was a steep drop off in the number of migrants coming. However, Customs and Border Protection's own graphics now show a steep increase from June to July. One of the other so-called sanctuary cities that has seen a big strain is Chicago, where Ray Lopez is a city alderman. Well, I would definitely love to see a solution to this ongoing crisis at our border that's now in our backyards here in the city of Chicago. And many of the solutions that I've heard presented, expedited work visas and all this other stuff from various politicians, don't get to the heart of the matter, which is we have had hundreds of thousands of individuals claim asylum crossing into our country over our borders and who are not going to have those asylum cases adjudicated for nearly half a decade. That is an unsustainable, unacceptable solution for the greatest country in the world. The United States needs to address whether or not these individuals have merit for their asylum cases, period. That is the only solution moving forward Because if they don't qualify for asylum, what's going to happen? You're going to have had them here for six, seven years, only to be told no several years down the road. That is not a sustainable solution. And we've actually seen how this same story played out in the late 80s and 90s in L.A. County Hmm. when we had a surge of migrant asylum seekers come to L.A. 
only to be denied years later and declared undocumented residents and ultimately formed the gang later to be known as MS-13. Why we are trying to relive that episode in every city across America is beyond me. We need to immediately authorize Homeland Security. Biden needs to step up and say, even though it's an election year, he needs to tell Secretary Mayorkas to set up emergency merit hearing courtrooms across the nation to start adjudicating whether or not these individuals have merit for their asylum cases. And if not, because the law is quite clear as to what constitutes asylum, if not, to begin deportation efforts immediately. That is the only way that we're going to address this issue in a true, proper, and legal fashion. Everything else is just an end run around the asylum process, and politicians on all sides should be ashamed of the fact that they are further encouraging a broken system to remain broken because they refuse to address the true issue that's before us. You know, I know um, when this first started to, I guess, increase in Chicago and when the buses carrying migrants first started coming to Chicago earlier this year, um, in in a greater fashion, we saw um, some of them like sleeping in a police station. I know it hasn't risen quite to the level of what we've seen in New York, but there were certainly some stark visual images of what was happening on the streets of Chicago. It hasn't gotten better, worse, stayed the same. Those images. Those images haven't changed. And actually, as of right now, there are nearly 1,500 individuals living in any one of the 22 police districts across this city. We have experienced the buses and planes arriving with migrants since August of last year. And we have a a migrant asylum seeker population of nearly 15,000 people in the city of Chicago. We're spending $20 million a day on these folks which will probably end the year of 2023, close to $300 million spent. This is unsustainable for us. And we are slow to find more permanent housing solutions for these individuals. We know winter is quickly coming upon us. And yet we still have thousands of people with children sleeping out on the streets and in lobbies across the city. We've gotten very little help from the federal government Our state, which wanted to be the most welcoming, quote unquote, state in the nation, per our governor, has done little to be of assistance to Chicago taxpayers or in terms of relocating the individuals to other parts of the state to help lessen the burden on Chicago. All the while, our immigration czar, Vice President Kamala Harris, has been to this city five times and never once stepped foot a single shelter or police station to see what this humanitarian crisis is doing to the city of Chicago, which should be as no surprise considering she didn't one step foot at the border to see what was going on there as well. Chicago Alderman Raymond Lopez, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Did you hear the news? Now you can. With instant updates from Fox News for Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play news from Fox. In Fox News. It's the latest when you need it. On demand from Fox News and Amazon Alexa. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Robert Henneke. What's on your mind? 
A federal district judge admonishment of attorneys for the state of Texas on Tuesday was portrayed in the media as a loss for Governor Greg Abbott and his border securing Operation Lone Star. It wasn't. If anything, it was the Department of Justice's case that floundered. DOJ sued Texas last month over the buoy barriers placed in the Rio Grande, contending the federal government should have been consulted and further that the buoys are offensive to the Mexican government. And while the central premise of the federal government's case was that it had regulatory authority over the Rio Grande as a navigable waterway, DOJ lawyers failed to prove it's navigable. U.S. District Judge David Ezra appeared uninterested in evidence that the Biden administration has abandoned the southern U.S. border and ceded control to the criminal cartels. That's not a loss. That's a win for Texas's case, because legally, Texas by itself has the power and the duty to defend its citizens when the federal government cannot or will not. Taking politics out of the equation is exactly what Texas needs. In Federalist 41, for example, James Madison cites worries about daring and sudden invaders who he calls pirates and barbarians. Compare those Barbary raiders to the armed cartel members cited by drones entering the United States in body armor and carrying weapons. That combination of enmity and entry is key. Still, it seems like the Biden administration is living in a different reality. In its world, Mexico is a friend and partner whose cooperation on international issues is vital. It is not. In reality, Mexico's president ended his week by laughing off the brutal, sadistic deaths of five college students at the hands of Mexican criminal cartels, knowing that the Biden administration would have his and his corrupt nation's backs in the Texas courtroom a few days later. And indeed, President Lopez Obrador was right. U.S.-Mexico Border Affairs Coordinator Hillary Quam testified that Texas should remove buoy barriers in the Rio Grande because they upset the Mexican government. An issue like this distracts from the bi-national agenda, Quam said. Our concern is that Mexico will not be a willing partner on other issues. The reality of the border demonstrates that Mexico is anything but a willing partner. Texans are paying the price for this willful blindness, often with their lives. I'm Robert Henneke, Executive Director and General Counsel for the Texas Public Policy Foundation. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hey, it's Will Kane, co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend. Join me as I share my thoughts on a wide range of topics, from sports and pop culture to politics and business. The Will Kane Podcast. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.